Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. Hello, my name is Dr. Nick Smolowski, and I'm also a geoholic. We appreciate you tuning in for this statistical edition of Bad Elves, Seconds of Spatial News. We Bad Elves live our lives one spatial second at a time, and we know you, geoholics, do too. Today, I would like to promptly give the audience a rundown on the current United States statistics regarding COVID-19. The Delta variant on the rise in the U.S. and other parts of the world, I felt it would be beneficial to reflect quickly on the statistics and numbers involved. This message is no way political, just scientific, and it is expected that any reasonable adult would utilize this information and other data available to make the best decisions for their families. Oh, and if you're wondering, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm a PhD, I'm just reporting some numbers. Okay, let's do this. First, in the United States, the seven-day running average infection rate per 100,000 people is 27. Second, in the United States, the seven-day running average currently for deaths per 100,000 people is 0.13, or just over one-tenth of a single person. Third, during the worst part of the pandemic in January, the seven-day running average on deaths was 3,100 people and peaked at over 4,000 people. By June 15th, the death count had dropped to 350 per day, an average reduction of deaths around 88% or almost one-tenth of the numbers seen at the height. It is also important to note, out, note that in the United States in 2020, Alzheimer's disease killed roughly 302 people a day, chronic lower respiratory disease killed 424 people a day, strokes about 431 people a day, and cancer and heart disease taking the cake out roughly 1,632 and 1,736 respectfully. Fourth, currently as of August 4th, 165 million people have been fully vaccinated in the country, or roughly 50.3%. Fifth, the death rate of children who get COVID is extremely low. A UK study found that 99% of all children that got disease only had mild symptoms. Okay, these are just the numbers, not opinions. Note, all data presented here are from reputable sources, including the Wall Street Journal, Nature.com, Google, and John Hopkins University. It is now up to you to decide what is best for you and how you should handle your life. The question to ask is, what is my level of acceptable risk? That does it for this week's Bad Elf's Seconds of Spatial News. We hope you enjoyed our designated news of the week. And if you have any questions about this story or about Bad Elf GNSS products, please feel free to contact me via LinkedIn or the Geoholics channels. Please stay safe out there, Geoholics. And until next time, cheers. Good evening. I have not heard this one in a long time. I have never heard this one. <laughs> Finally. I, li- I look forward to you having a story for a change about our uh, about <laughs> our, our our podcast band. That that's a change of pace for All sure. All right, uh, welcome, Geoholics. Here we are, episode ninety three. If you can believe that, I'm starting to get a little anxiety. We're like seven away from the big number one hundred, the century mark. What are we gonna do? I have no freaking idea. We'll have to figure something out. I don't know, but tell us. We'll light off some fireworks in the yeah. studio. <laughs> in, <laughs> in studio, I like it. Yeah, did the Diamondback Lancer Bank studio, of course. So any damage, Mister Tranquino would have to t- yeah, pick exactly. up the tab, of course, right? He's a generous. He guy. signed yeah. off on all that liability. <laughs> he did, he did. All right, shoots. Tell me about episode ninety-three, Mister John Randall. 
uh, oh. was drafted by the Vikings in 1990. Seven-time Pro Bowler, six-time first-team All-Pro, NFL Sacks leader in 97. Uh, he's on the 100th anniversary all-time team, 1990s all-decade team, Minnesota Vikings Ring of Honor, and the 100 Sacks Club. And then he was inducted into both the College Football Hall of Fame and the National Football Hall of Fame. So uh, nothing about his numbers being retired, hmm. but not too many 93s out there. I definitely remember being a Bears fan, of course. I remember him being on the Vikings, and he always, like, the way he painted his face was, like, so, so intimidating. Remember yeah. that? He put black. the eye black, and yeah. it would just, like, run down. Yeah, and- yeah, super intimidating. I would never want to line up against a man like that, <laughs> for sure. No doubt. So, uh, good choice, for sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. A lot of football players of late. Football and hockey are in the, in the 90s. I know. That's all we got left. I know. It's tough. It's tough, but we got to get through it. Got a soldier on, as I they promise say. you I won't pick, like, Turk Wendell for 99 <laughs> as, a ho- as a homer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get on with this. Um, big things happening with the Geoholics. We did. A, we have over 1,000 members of our Geoholics uh, LinkedIn group. 1,000? Yes. We have over 1,000 members of our Facebook uh, following. We have over 1,000 followers of our Instagram accounts. So, man, oh, man. It's just amazing. The, the growth is exp- exponential at this point. And I did do some research because I'm like, how do you know if your podcast is good? Like, if you have, if you got something good going, you know? So, I found this statistic, which is really interesting. Um I don't have the website where it came from, unfortunately. But if your new episode gets within seven days of its release, more than 26 downloads, you're in the top 50% of podcasts. That's all it takes. 26 downloads. More than 72 downloads in the first seven days, you're in the top 25% of all podcasts. Okay. Okay. More than 231 downloads, you're in the top 10% of podcasts. More than 539 downloads in the first seven days after release, you're in the top 5%. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is what we're shooting for, of course. More than 3,062 downloads in the first week. You're in the top 1%. 1%. So get this. We average just over 300 downloads in the first week. Okay. So my math is let's, right. Let's, let's get the adding machine. <laughs> we are probably in the top 8.5%, of all podcasts. That's impressive. Yeah, that's awesome. There we go. Yeah, go team. No, hey, we got to thank the listeners. Pretty good slick. math there too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't have my calculator. It's all up here, man. Right up here on the hard drive. PJ, tell us about that opening number. All right, that was Cadillac by Mest. Uh, Mest is an American rock band formed in the Blue Island section of the South Side of Chicago, led by lead vocalist and guitarist Tony Lovato, bassist Matt Lovato, drummer Nick Giggler, and guitarist Jeremiah Rangel. Uh, Tony came up with the band name Mest while looking at a case of Milwaukee's best beer. After 10 years together, Mest called it a quits in early 2006. Um, they went out on an appropriately titled final tour, So Long and Thanks for the Booze, um, that February. A brief reunion a few years later set the stage for the band to get back together, and they toured as well as releasing the 2013 album, Not What You Expected. So, Shoots came out of the gate pretty hot on this one. This Tell was, us, this was you a, must have a mess story. This was a band that I actually saw that you guys have never heard of. So, it's a, you know, it's right up my wheelhouse in that early 2000s punk, punk scene, we'll call mm, it. Mm-hmm. They opened for my favorite band, Goldfinger. So Goldfinger, yes, I know those guys. Yes. I, Great I, band. I, yes, they, they are, you know, when you're like 14 or 15, you get your musical taste for mm. your life. 
that was my favorite band at that time. So yep. Mest was was an offshoot of them, and they were fantastic here locally several times. Wow, you must have been shocked when you saw that come I, up on I, the playlist. I, hey, uh, I was in, I was impressed. I'm like, wow, <laughs> pulling this out of the wayback machine. <laughs> I don't. That's way back for me, machine. Not yeah, way right. back for you. Oh yeah, I, I just I was after my time, I guess. So being from Chicago, I mean, this is a band that I'm not even aware of, but our guest this evening uh, recommended it in this song. When uh, listening to a bunch of the music, I'm like, oh, I kind of dig this. So. I don't have a mess story, but I do have a Milwaukee best story. Okay. okay. That's going to be better. So this, Milwaukee's best was my beer of choice in college, okay? At the fraternity house, I mean, every single Friday we had what we called FAC, Friday Afternoon Club, right? So every Friday we'd go and we'd get like five kegs of beer from a local liquor store. We'd sneak them into the fraternity house in the back door, of course. And in the basement, we'd have this absolute blowout every single Friday. People would show up with their FAC mugs that they got at who knows where <laughs> and just, oh, it was just nuts. It was unbelievable. Good, Good, times. Good times for sure. FAC, Friday Afternoon Club. We'll never forget it. Um, of course, we are here in the Diamondback Lancer Bank Studios we mentioned previously. Our featured friend of the program this evening is Aerotech Mapping. Aerotech Mapping, also known as ATM, has been supplying high-quality geospatial solutions, services, and support for the AEC industry since 2002. They've done projects across the United States and abroad using the latest technology and resources combined with a highly educated and experienced staff. Excuse me, ATM specializes in large-scale design-level photogrammetry for a variety of sectors within the AEC industry, including aviation, transportation, energy, commercial development, mining, public works, water wastewater, just to name a few. Their mapping is done under the direct supervision of an ASPRS certified photogrammetrist to ensure that they meet their clients' challenging demands. Aerotech Mapping's mission is to bring their clients the highest quality geospatial products and services available. Check them out at www.atmlv.com to find out more. Be sure to let them know that you're a geoholic. Good guys over there. Good guys over there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Gosh, I'm doing double time tonight. The Trimble (laughs) Geospatial Weekly Words of Wisdom. All right, so this is where this is this is the genesis of this. Something I have realized lately. I'm getting a soapbox just a little bit. Uh, A little bit. We We as a society have become so desensitized. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to me. It is amazing to me. Like stuff that at one point in time would like get you rattled and get you like, oh my God, you know, all while. nothing like, I don't know about you guys, but like, it doesn't seem like anything bothers me anymore. Yeah, you know, it's no. like, I'm so callous to like what's going on around me. And it's like every day there's shootings, every day there's this, there's COVID, there's, it's like whatever, you know, you're just, you become so desensitized. Maybe that's what the government side plan is. I have the no idea. The news is overwhelming but for sure. It's crazy. Yeah. So I came up with this quote here from a very interesting individual. Here it is. We've always found that with people being so desensitized, things have to be really shocking and have to punch you in the face to get your attention. No doubt. Thence, once you've gotten their attention, you can say something they might remember. Guess who that's from? Who? Marilyn Manson. Ah. Yeah, pretty good, huh? That makes sense. Yep, but it's it's an issue, man. I mean, it's probably... All goes back to mental health, but desensitization um, can't be a good thing, I wouldn't think. No, not at all. It's got to be wearing everybody thin. It's got to be, for sure. Let's catch up with the boys. PJ, what's up, man? Um, yeah, doing good. Um, was in California this past of weekend. Course, oh, of yeah, course. Yeah, a few trips Dude, out there. You got there a freaking P.O. box over there? Or yeah, what? I got a second home out there. Jesus. Bungalow out there on the beach. Um, yeah, just was nice to uh, went out there with my buddies. We got a sailboat out of uh, Marina del Rey and sailed up to Santa Monica. Saw the pier from the water, which was kind of cool. Um, and then just a, a little trip from Six Flags. So nice, it's a nice weekend out there. Um, 
yeah, so relaxing, not desensitized, out away from the news and then the happenings of the world on the water. So, so no, no new uh, TV to report that we need to watch? No new TV, no Ted Lasso season two is out. Mm. I hope you boys watch season one. I haven't cracked into season two yet. Um, actually, I will. I think you had mentioned it. I uh, uh, got into that White Lotus Pretty good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. HBO, I mean, uh, they, they're they they're always doing it right. I so. like the way they do it. It's pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm only about two episodes in. I, I, when I was gone and the past couple of weeks, I've let them uh, queue up. So I need to get back in there. So just out of curiosity, can you share your Apple TV login? I think so, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, what are you waiting on? There you go. Shoot me a text. Oh, Shoot me a text. <laughs> I think it's one of those things, right, when you go to, like, sign in on your TV and it's like, here's this, like, go to yeah. this website and type in and you just send me, like, your four-digit codes. Yeah, great. Right, Same thing right. as YouTube TV. Done deal. Probably, yeah. Oh, shoots. What the hell's the deal? I've been getting kicked off of your YouTube subscription. I, I'm going to cancel it here shortly. You got to no. give me a heads up on this. I, I will cancel it here shortly. <sighs> it's it's getting expensive for like. Oh, dude. You know. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but now that you're making the big bucks, oh, <laughs> oh, oh. how the hell can you not afford YouTube TV? No. Yeah, help a brother out over here, yeah, man. I'm struggling. You got you to you blame the lovely Carrie on this one. It's not me. I'll text her. Right. I'm going to give me your number. If it were up to me, you know I would keep cable for just the, you know, flipping the channels. I will, channels I will sweet oh, talk I her. It. I'm still old school like that where the guide is a guide, but I like to flip the channels like a... Like on the clicker, get like a carpal, the clicker. Carpal, exactly. carpal tunnel, then or oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> turning the volume up and down because you got to accommodate everybody in the house for and, sure. Uh, Shoots, what, what's going on, man? What's new with you? Ah, uh, what what can I say? I had a little staycation. The family came in from Indiana, so uh, they stayed up at the Hilton. Oh, nice. Which on, one is that? On, on the peak. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So we went to the water park there. Yep. What, what, the Water was filthy. Uh, oh, you know yeah. what? I, I, I remember when the, we first moved out here and the girls were young, and we went there, and I was like, this is disgusting then. Yeah. So I can't even imagine what it's like it, now. It's the same thing, except for it's slowly falling apart. So, I, you know, it was fine. It was worth it. Hudson had a good time, but not my deal by mm. any means. I took a nap on the uh, yeah. on the bench. And that's like a cross-section <laughs> of humanity there. Oh. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm not a water park person. Let's yeah. just throw that out there. So yeah. any any uh, water park sponsors, don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm pretty sure Hilton won't be a sponsor now. No, it's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll allow it. But no, I had the staycation. Then I had to recover. Nice. Start, a, start a new job this week. New I, job? Yeah. That's big news, man. Congratulations. Thank Congrats you very much. I, uh, Please expand if you, if you I, so choose. I may have left Aerotech Mapping. They're a great company. You know, Ken just talked about them, and I can't agree more with what he said. They're they're fantastic, but uh, moved on to a new company called Half Associates. All right, based out of Texas, but expanding into the desert. So they they tapped me for it. Love I'm, it. I'm excited. It's it's a uh, new beginnings. Congrats, man. They couldn't Thank have picked you. a better guy. Oh, uh, now or now. person. Sorry, they couldn't have picked a better person. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a better he him. I did I did get the correction on that when. She, uh, during the the opening spiel, they said your your wife, and she's like, I mean spouse. I'm like, you're fine. Wife wife works for me. You're in the corporate world now. Oh buddy. yeah, no, there <laughs> HR is a real thing. So, what about you, Kent? I, I know you made a big purchase this weekend. Uh, yeah, I think I mentioned purchased a new vehicle. Um, no, 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 even bigger than that. What I buy? What'd you buy? Uh, Full season. Oh, I bought oh, season yeah. tickets to the Suns. That's right. Yes, Huge I purchase. did. He got sucked it was, in. It was a good purchase. Yeah, I mean, you know, Sydney Slavin, 
free plug. Out. Don't get used yeah. to it. Um, awesome, awesome uh, ticket. What do you call it? Broker. Manager, broker, what have you for the Phoenix Suns. But she's amazing and she hooked us up. Uh, I plan on keeping about half the season and selling the other half. And to be honest with you, with all the new signings, the Suns and, you know, their amazing season last year, I'm pretty certain that I will probably make my money back. Yeah, you'll be fine. For I don't sure. see any problems whatsoever. For with sure. That. Yeah, yeah. So the wife was, she was a little, not, I don't want to say miffed because I told her I was going to buy a half season. But then once I saw the numbers, I'm like, it doesn't make sense to buy a half season. I'm just going to buy a freaking full yeah. season. And, and then, then you break even or even yeah, come out sure. ahead. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Just so. unload a few games. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when LeBron and team come to town. No question. No question. Unload those. Yeah, yep. exactly. There you go. That's where you make your money back on the mm-hmm. Lakers. Games. No doubt. Other than that, um, I also started a new gig last week. I oh. <laughs> Lots, lot of changes yeah. happening with the Geoholics. It's pretty exciting. Um, I am now working for a company called Alta Southwest, and we're about 100 employees strong. Offices in Phoenix, Tucson, Sierra Vista, Las Vegas. Uh, very aggressive, very aggressive growth plan, growth strategy that I'm really excited to be a part of. So, super cool. Um, that's about it's it. Exciting. I think. Hung out in Pine for the weekend. It was fantastic. Got some rain. It's absolutely beautiful. Now we just got to find Jake a new job. Yeah, I was going to say, sorry, yeah. I don't have anything uh, to report there on the <laughs> career path. Oh, maybe one of our guests this evening will hire you, PJ. Oh, yeah. I'll you never know. Yeah, right? I'd actually like to work for a company, that elf company we always <laughs> yeah, talk yeah. about. I want to give it away. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, you never know. All right. Safety apparel, safety share, and other things to worry about. Shoes, what you got? I got driving in a flood. So oh, that, that's that, a good one. That's a popular one out here. Uh, we, we recently got some rain, so... The roads flood here pretty quickly. Uh, When you're driving in a flood, you want to drive with your headlights on using low beams. Avoid driving through standing water and flooded roads. Even shallow water can cause damage and or disable your vehicle. And floodwaters can rise very quickly. Maintain an extra large amount of space around your vehicle and increase your following distance. I just don't get it, man. People that, like, they they look at the flooded area and they're like, I'm going to go for it. Yep. And they never do it in, like, these Mondo trucks that are prepared for it. Yep. They do it in these little cars, and they're like, yeah. Yeah, and people yeah. don't understand the hydraulic power yeah. behind water. Yeah, water is it's a amazing. force. It is absolutely amazing. And every year, you know, during monsoon season here in Arizona, your story is about, you know, kids. Like, oh, it's just horrible. Getting washed away. Washed away. They, they play in it. Like, what are, you, what are you doing as a parent to let your kid just mm. go out there and play in floodwaters? Absolutely horrific. Um, but good one. Good choice. Absolutely. All right. So here we are. Let's get our guests on the line with us here. Um, this evening we have Nick Smolovsky and Parker Hinson. I'm going to let them talk a little bit here about themselves. But, you know, Nick is, Nick is essentially a... I don't know. He's a geoholic. He's a, yeah, he's a yeah. fourth geoholic. You're going to recognize his voice right away. Yeah, I mean, he's not like on the payroll or anything, but um, he's, he's a close huge to part of possible. it. No doubt. It's like anytime I hear him or you have him on the show, it's like putting on a pair of underwear for the fifth day. You know what I mean? It's just comfortable. It's just comfortable. It's cozy. Yeah, it's cozy. absolutely. So Nick and Parker, um, thanks so much for being here. And I know you guys both have some news to share. Nick, I'm going to start with you. Uh, welcome back to the Geoholics. Hey guys, it's good to see you or well, hear you guys. Uh, I am virtual today and that's going to be part of my update, but uh, I'm glad uh, to hear that I'm like a fifth day worn pair of underwear. That's, you know, not the first time I've heard that actually. Um, <laughs> any rate, uh, it, it's just what you wash it in, you know, that way it you know smells good for several days. But uh, yeah, so always glad to be with y'all. Um, 
Uh, excited to be talking about geospatial technologies and GIS tonight. Uh, updates on my end. So um, I officially announced it today on LinkedIn, actually, uh, the day of the recording, uh, that is, mm -hmm. uh, that my wife and I have moved to Texas. And so uh, it was a whirlwind of the last six weeks, but uh, we packed up, we sold everything in the crazy Arizona market. Uh, sold our house and uh, had a large garage sale, uh, drove across the country to San Marcos, Texas, and bought a 40-foot-long camper. And we are now uh, living down by a river, uh, so to speak, <laughs> in a van. Uh, a really <laughs> big a van. van. A really big van. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we moved. Uh, my wife is continuing her Ph.D. at Texas State University in the geosciences field. And I am out here uh, opening a small bad elf office. So, um, Jake, if you want to move to Texas, maybe I could hire you. There you uh, go. Uh, you just, I don't know how you're going to produce for the geoholic. So, you know, priorities. Ooh, um, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> Bidding war. But yeah, no, super excited <laughs> to, oh, geez, super excited to be out here at this new adventure uh, opportunity to uh, grow uh, Bad Elf um, geographically, you know, expand the business in the Texas market. It's very large. I am still um, on faculty at Arizona State. Uh, they were gracious enough to let me teach remotely uh, kind of serendipitously before COVID even started. I was transitioning most of my classes online. So it's worked out really well. That's kind of what's happening. Um, I am in Texas. So yeah, it's uh, how y'all doing? <laughs> That's about all I got. Congrats, Nick. I'm so uh, happy for you and somewhat jealous, to be honest with you. Um, talk about minimalism. You are living the minimalism life for sure. I do have two questions for you. First, how is uh, the lovely Danielle doing? She is doing very great. Um, she's super excited to get started here in the fall at Texas State. Um, she's going to be working with a new professor out here doing water studies. So, uh, listening to the flood warning and safety talk earlier, that would hold true to her, but no, she's, she's doing great. Uh, her little Honda wouldn't be able to drive through uh, a, a deep flood. I, I have one of those tr larger trucks, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't have the things that, uh, I don't know if I can say it on the podcast to be able to, you know, shoot the gap like that. I'm a little more cautious, but, uh, no, she's doing very, very well. <laughs> Um, she, she, she's a little shocked. We went from 2,400 square feet down to about 250. Wow. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a shock to the system, but she's doing great. You guys will figure it out. No doubt. And the one other question I have, you mentioned you had a yard sale before you left. What is the one item that you sold that went for a ridiculously low price and you can't believe it? ridiculously low price uh pretty much everything because we had a fire sale we had one week to get out uh before the house closed and so uh we we basically as people well for the first hour or two we had sticker prices by about hour three people were walking up and i was just you know begging them to make a deal throw it into a box at five bucks here you go the one single item that was probably the you know, you always get those people that come up, you know, they, they get there like five minutes before you're supposed to open. They ride their bike there. It's like yeah. barely light out. And they offer you like five bucks. We had a really expensive Gary Fisher bike and, mm. it, and we got a low offer for it, you know, and you're just flabbergasted. Like, really, that's what you're going to offer. And then, you know, they and then they, they try to barter with you, but it never really works. So Gary Fisher bike, I think, was a big one. Um, 
yeah, tables and furniture. They, they go, oh, you know, shoes. So my wife had to get a, rid of about 35 pairs of shoes, which oh, wow. that's probably about $10,000 worth of stuff. <laughs> and, you know, we, we got about eight, $8 for it. So, that, you know, oh, a man. bike pair of shoes, uh, you know, yeah. uh, you, uh, a grill, you know, that was pretty cheap too. So, yeah. but totally. no, it all worked out really well. We, 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 we raked in what we needed to, so we could resupply when we got to Texas. So yeah, it was paid, a blessing. Paid for gas to get you there anyways, right? Yeah. Holy cow. all right well thanks to that nick and our other guest this evening is parker henson parker was gosh i can't remember what episode he was on but he was on talking about gs as well parker what's new with you man welcome back hey thanks really great to be here um yeah not not so not so much uh new in my life as far as far as career wise i'm still just in working for the state of florida um i'm I'm the gis lead for the florida department of environmental uh, protection and um, I guess the, the, the most recent, you know, I, I was there to assist with uh, Hurricane uh, slash Tropical Storm Elsa uh, mm-hmm. when that kind of came through and up besides Florida. So fortunately, nothing major, um, but did give everybody something uh, to work on uh, in addition to uh, into COVID. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, work is going well. Congratulations to all, all of you um, who've kind of started new things. So so that's that's definitely um really, really great, you know, always to see professional progress and, and development, uh, can't be, ex- not be excited for, for that, you know, so, um, so even though I haven't changed, uh, my uh, wife, uh, Rebecca, she, she took a new job, so she's, um, she's working for a nonprofit now here in Tallahassee, uh, called Tall Timbers, hmm. and, uh, they, they do a lot of research for prescribed fire, um, they kind of cover the whole southeast, it's not, it's not just a, an organization here in Florida and, and yeah, so she's kind of making that switch from, from biologist to ecologist and, and land conservationist. Yeah. Wow. That's exciting. I'm just curious. So like with the, the condo collapse, did you have any involvement? I mean, working for, you know, the, uh, yeah, with the positions you have, I mean, was that anything, was that in your wheelhouse at all? Yeah, um, not not directly. So I didn't do any GIS, you know, um, flights or any, or anything like that for it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we did provide some initial support through DEP. Um, mm-hmm. Anytime there's uh, any type of state emergency like that, a, a lot of the agencies all all respond. Um, I, I think I just happened to kind of be in there. I, I was called more in for the for the storm, uh, and then you know, kind of assisted with some of the some of the task for, um, for that. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, that was a horrible, horrible event for sure. And we were talking before the show, uh, Nick, you mentioned the bad elf, um, had some involvement, uh, in the, in the aftermath. Yeah. So we got a interesting phone call, uh, from FEMA actually, and FEMA was requesting, uh, some aid. So we provided them, uh, several GNSS surveyor devices, uh, so their their teams down there could do geolocating and uh, setting up track logs and taking points of interest and you know doing all the different types of field mapping to um, better help the people that obviously were endangered from the collapse. Yeah, it was a pretty horrible circumstance, so um, we were more than willing to to donate you know the units uh, for the you know, the human humanitarian use. So mm-hmm. it's, it's always interesting. You know, we were chatting before the show, like you said, uh, 
you you know, as the show goes on, you're going to, uh, everybody's going to understand that uh, Parker and I are P-Funk, as I refer to him. We've, we've been friends for some time <laughs> now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's cool that in, in non-direct ways, kind of six degrees of separation, uh, both our geospatial careers, you know, have been able to give back and, and, you know, be able to assist with things like this. So it's, uh, you never know where your world's going to go. And it, sometimes like this, it, 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 it comes full circle. So yeah, it was, it was cool to be able to, uh, to assist FEMA. Yeah, that's awesome. Sorry, just to touch on that real quick. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so that that's interesting because uh, th there was some drone drone footage and some three D modeling that that I was looking at there in the in the EOC that may have been collected with a with a bad mm -hmm. receiver. So, who you know, small yeah, world, small world. Yeah, there's some of that. Yes, and surveying, you you realize how small things really are. <laughs> yep. How connected? Yeah, we are. some of that control for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And of course, you know, Nick introduced us to Parker and we're appreciative of that. And uh, the last time we had Parker on, he was talking, we were talking about GIS and just kind of scratch the surface on some things. So the idea of this show is to really give folks a better understanding of, you know, kind of the background of GIS, you know, where, where, how it began, you know, how it's progressed and, and ultimately where it's going. So, um, let's, let's, so you guys mentioned, you know, each other. And I think that was from college. Is that when you first met? Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. around 2004, 2005, right, Nick? Um, we both started working for Larry's Giant Subs. So, nice. uh, Free know, plug, don't get used to it. Hey, they're uh, delicious subs, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> pa giant. Parker was actually, yeah, they were giant. Parker was actually my <laughs> boss. Uh, funny story, I'd, I had actually... <laughs> I had gotten fired uh, the week before from uh, a, a place called Po Boys in the same parking lot uh, for um, drinking on the job, which really sounds terrible. But I was in college uh, and we had a ladies night every Tuesday night and five dollar all you could drink um, for the ladies. And so uh, I was waiting on a table and they offered for me to do body shots off them. And I, how could I say no? Well, apparently the owner saw me doing that. Uh, yeah, kept me on for the rest of the week. Uh, didn't tell me and then fired me on the Sunday because he needed me to fill shifts. So then I walked over to the sub shop and Parker was there and yeah, Parker was my boss for gosh, about two years, uh, as we had some crazy escapades, uh, making subs for drunk people in Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know that was part of your application, but you know, it's it's amazing that you walked into Larry Subs and not Hooters next door. You know, uh, <laughs> I couldn't have gotten a job there, unfortunately. Uh, it's so funny, uh, man! What, it's so crazy how things happen, isn't it? Mm. It's amazing. Everybody falls into uh, the same thing, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you guys, are you guys both fish fans? Is that my understanding? Uh, both both fans of a, of a lot of music i think you know i think i think uh earlier the cadillac by mess song that appreciate mm. you guys playing that because that was just that was just a song that um you know long nights when when we're there cleaning up and you know and uh and and trying to get out just you just needed some music to to, to pump you up so sometimes that was fish sometimes that was grateful dead sometimes that was uh mess sometimes you know i mean it kind of awesome. just it it yeah, it varied, but that was that's definitely been a go-to song, and and uh, uh, that's neat. Appreciate you guys 
throwing that on there. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's so funny how music like just kind of ties everything together. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's certain songs, obviously, like you know, back in my younger days, and <laughs> a song will come on, and I'll just be like, oh my god, I remember being with this guy and this guy and doing this, blah blah blah. You know, back with half can and half can, half can and Pooh Bear and <laughs> yeah, the boys, right? <laughs> all right, let's get on with this, guys. Uh, we're let's first of all talk about a little bit of uh, of history when as it pertains to GIS, and I know there's like a you know the pre-modern and pre-industrial um, times as it pertains to GIS. So, um, Nick, I understand that you are the authority on this part of the program. So, talk about how humans have been mapping since the beginning of time. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug real quick an old school punk band just because I heard Goldfinger earlier too. I'm I'm actually against all authority. Oh, that's oh. A, that's a late <laughs> '90s, early 2000s joke. Um, goodness gracious. Uh, so definitely not an authority. I, I have, um, taught a couple lectures, um, at ASU on kind of what the the history of GIS, but really more of a holistic approach of the geospatial technologies and professions, uh, since kind of the beginning of human history up until today. Um, what's interesting about mapping, uh, it's, it's something it's, it's really old. So we've been doing it. Some, some researchers and scientists think, uh, human beings have been doing mapping t- about 10,000 years ago, up to about 40,000 years ago. And about the same time, uh, you know, the advent of language and such, uh, human beings were starting to use mapping for utilitarian means for finding food and, you know, drawing stick figures on, uh, you know, cave walls to show where villages and things were, um, w- which I think is really important. So as as the species evolved, mapping has been crucial to the p- point where, you could look at like a famous psychologist of the 19th century, uh, Howard Gartner came up with the seven intelligence, uh, intelligences uh, humans have, and one of them is spatial thinking. Um, and so there were other researchers in the early 1900s, E.C. Toleman, for an example, he studied humans and rats and were able to determine that we spatially thought about things to help navigate the world that we lived in. Uh, what's neat about GIS is it's not just a linear history, right? So, you know, it, it, it bounces all over the place, whether you're doing, you know, and this, you know, Kent probably strikes home for you, but ancient surveyors of the Egyptian, you know, mm-hmm. cultures or the Maya cultures, uh, even in the East, um, ancient China, about 3000 BC, you know, developing the first compass. These are all important facets that, you know, kind of lead up to GIS uh, today. Um, you can kind of go through time, you know, uh, in the world of geospatial, you may have heard of the term like universal transmercator or UTM zones, for an example, as projected coordinate systems, um, mainly used outside of the United States by most of the rest of the world. But obviously, uh, like in Arizona, you're in zone 12 north and zone 11 north, and that's a UTM. I bring that up because in that name is the name Mercator. You know, So you can go back to like the 14th century and Gerardus Mercator uh, was a cartographer that drew maps, and he uh, was able to figure out Latin longitudes that would uh, help ship navigators get across the oceans, for an example. Not necessarily the shortest route, but uh, you could do the angles and it would get you there no matter what. Um, so whether you're talking surveying, you're talking things like, you know, uh, technologies like compasses or gunther chains, or even things like the abacus, we, we've got all of this bright, brilliant history of mapping um, that kind of leads to the 18th and you know 19th centuries um, when 
and GIS really comes into being. Um, I could talk day and night about all the different people. You know, I, I love to throw out there, like people don't realize you know, how many famous surveyors there have been in the world. Um, you know, people, all of the different presidents that have been surveyors and uh, all of the, the different people throughout time, especially in Europe that, um, you know, based their lives and professions in the geospatial technologies that led to GIS. And, you know, I shouldn't, you know, just remind everybody, I know Parker talked about GIS before, so I should probably, you know, correct everything he lied to you about, to make sure everybody, <laughs> you know, uh, has it good to go. But, you know, GIS actually means get it surveyed. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, you know, a GIS is, you know, it does four things. It's, it's a system that uh, collects data. It's a system that stores data. It's a system that uh, analyzes data and then um, uh, spits that data out for display, you know, uh, traditionally like maps. And again, I've often joked to myself and my nerdy friends that like I'm a GIS, like my whole body is a GIS. Like mm. I, I collect data with my eye as they're the remote sensing uh, sensors like cameras on uh, drones, you know, and my brain is the processing center where it, it stores all of that information uh, and then I can analyze it and then my speech or maybe I'm drawing or making a map or whatever the case may be, that's me displaying this analysis. Um, so I, I don't want to talk too much about this boring history, but, you know, where I think uh, Parker can maybe jump in here um, in terms of the historical approach, you kind of have this pre-modern everything I was just talking about where it's, it's, it's the classical approaches where, you know, like I've the Greeks and the Romans and the Egyptians and, you know, all the way through the Renaissance, uh, you know, through the Middle Ages up to the Renaissance. But around the 1700s, there's this really interesting character, um, Jon Snow. And no, I'm not talking about the guy from Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'm sorry for all your GOT fans out there. But, uh, hey, Parker, you want to pick up for me and talk a little bit about kind of um, where GIS kind of took a, lep a leap into analysis and, uh, what Jon Snow was able to do and how that kind of took the old school of just cartography and mapping, uh, making sure you're measuring the earth and distances and spaces, but then not just taking the spatial measurements of it, but actually analyzing those spatial measurements for different facets. Hey, Nick, before we do that, yeah. Let, yeah, me, yeah. let me do a knowledge drop real quick. All right. <laughs> oh boy. Drop, drop, drop. All right. So you mentioned the Egyptian surveyors. Okay. So PJ, there yeah. was a unit of measure called the Egyptian cubit, C-U-B-I-T. And that's how they measured, like, you know, the, uh, the pyramids, all that stuff. Sure. Cubit. So get this. You're going to love this. The cubit, a full cubit, is a distance, I believe, from the elbow to the tip of your middle finger. That was like a cubit. And a half cubit was from the tip of your pinky to the tip of your thumb. Okay. That was a half cubit. Can you imagine? That's how they that's how they that's yeah. how they measured. That's how they <clears throat> documented measurements, like by cubits. I remember, and maybe this is something that spawned off of that, or maybe this is some story they just tell you when you're little, but a foot is was that where did a foot come from? Is that true that it was like some sort of king or something in Britain? Or is that where a foot comes from? Yeah, I believe so. Yep, the origination of it. Uh, how foot. it became twelve inches, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to Google that. <laughs> oh, so shit. it wasn't twelve inches? I don't remember. Who's the lowest common denominator? Could have been. Just round it. Uh, yeah. And then uh, the other thing I'll mention is, of course, surveying is the second oldest profession in the world. What's All right. the oldest? Oh, come on. You know that is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. All right, Parker. Sorry to um, 
to you know take up your time there. I uh, I apologize. So um, let's let no, let's get that, that momentum. Let's get that momentum back going, Parker. The the lights on you, buddy. Well, actually, I I was going to take it back for one second. <laughs> Go for <laughs> just, it. Just to know, but. Uh, you mentioned the uh, um, the presidents, and and so I think Nick wasn't it all like all, th- everyone but Teddy Roosevelt on Mount yep. Rushmore was a surveyor, right? So Jefferson and Lincoln and Washington. Correct. So, um, I don't know. It so go, goes back. Yeah, one one of the oldest. <laughs> um, yeah, Nick, that's that was that was a great kind of history of where we were because you know a lot of a lot of things whether it's surveying and mapping or chemistry and biology and you know there, there's there's always that, that time period of that renaissance and and where, where do you get from understanding one concept and and how that innovates and and moves and progresses right so um before we get into the modern world and how we're now communicating through a cloud um <laughs> Let's yeah. go back to the era of, of ether and miasma um, uh, during John Snow's time. And, you know, I was looking at this too, because, you know, so um, being, having a public health background and studying GIS, obviously John Snow um, is, is one of the, mo- the more pivotal uh, cases that, that we and other epis uh, and epidemiologists study. Um, I was interested, you know, what other pivotal kind of, case happened before that and surprisingly to for you guys to know in the 16th and 17th centuries there are not there are known reports of maps being made but there really were none that two had been found so if you come across a map from the 16th or 17th century hang on to that because it's going to be it'll be worth it because prior to that there was one instance of a of a map being drawn about the plague in italy and it was a map showing kind of areas of, of the boundaries of a military quarantine, right? So they were kind of these areas along the river that they quarantined because uh, they were sick with the plague. And other than that, that's one of the, the oldest known kind of maps looking at, at beginning to look at spatial analysis and disease. So that's kind of neat. Um, one of the first known instances was uh, in 1832, surprisingly on cholera as well. So that's why I just wanted to, to briefly mention that mention that um, in France. So, but, you know, prior it was really John Snow who made this pivotal leap and kind of became the father of, of epidemiology in the, in the 1840s um, because of just how well documented his case was. And for those that, that aren't familiar with it, I, I think we did kind of touch on it briefly um, during the, during the last talk, but uh, maybe some, just some, some neat in, info for you here. Um, it's one of the most famous early examples. It's uh, London, 1854. Uh, Dr. John Snow um, was basically able to predict the occurrence of this cholera outbreak. Um, he was an anesthesiologist, um, but he was kind of uh, working with the government and, and, and studying and looking at the etymology or the cause of the, uh, the cause of this disease um, and determined that it was due to a contaminated water pump, right? Broad street pump. Um, so his, his, uh, a lot of people weren't actually believing what he was finding because um, Soho, Soho London, it's where they were at, had been experiencing these cholera outbreaks for a number of years prior to 1854. Um, he had started writing about these and looking at the outbreaks and trying to kind of figure out what was going on I think even back since the 1840s, 
Um, he was, and what you need to understand during that time is that this miasma theory of disease was really prevalent. You know, germ theory hadn't even been, uh, been really uh, considered a pivotal point in moving forward and understanding how, how, how diseases um, uh, moved, moved among us and, and contaminated uh, different areas and, and different populations. So, you know, that was 1850s. Louis Pasteur was really um, pivotal in, in germ theory. But prior to this was this, this miasma, which was that um, it was caused by a noxious or pollute, you know, form of a bad air. Um, so maybe perhaps what, what Nick's underwear smells like after five days. You know? <laughs> <laughs> miasma, baby, miasma. It's like Sex Panther. Fifty <laughs> percent of the time, it works. Every time. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Just take a snow from John Snow's. Eighteen fifties, man. Snow's book, right? But yeah. But yeah. So you know, uh, <laughs> what what ended up coming of all, all of this was that uh, he he, cre- he really was one of the first documented cases to talk about spatial analysis in that way. Um, it just happened. Both of those just happened to be kind of centered around public health, um, and we we use that pattern of identification today in in dot density maps. So to identify clusters and and patterns. Um, uh, particularly when looking at populations and, and deaths. But uh, there is a great book on this. It's called The Ghost Map, um, The Story of London's Most Terrifying Epidemic. And it's quite a good read, you know, e- e- easy to do on, on, on a plane or the next time when you guys travel. Um, for one additional tidbit, uh, Snow also noticed that those who worked at the local distillery or brewery, brewery were not being affected. So... Yes. He determined it was due to the brewing process, and and actually during that time it was safer to drink beer than water. So, cheers. That's that's pretty much my <laughs> approach to COVID, to be honest with you. That's, that's your approach to life. <laughs> I think I just naturally uh, get rid of that stuff just by uh, partaking, right? Uh, no, you know what I think? I think mellow corn. That mellow that corn keep, is a cure all. Clear. Yes. Keeps your wonder drug. That's a wonder drug, yeah. (laughs) For sure. All right. So, uh, Parker, I know you got some more to talk about here. Talk about the uh, Canada land information system. Well, actually, um, can I jump in real quick? You might want to pick pick this one up. (laughs) Don't tell anybody that. I don't have a flappy head. (laughs) All right. Um, (laughs) No, I, I was born in Toronto. Fun fact. But actually, I want to make a quick segue from Jon Snow in the uh, 1850s to the Canadian uh, uh, Land Information Services in the 1950s. So you have a 100-year span right there. There are a couple really important characters that I just want to mention by name. And if if this piques the interest of any listener, I highly recommend go Google search these people and check out their Wikipedia page to start and, uh, you know, do a little deep dive yourself. But um, if you've ever heard of the name of a a gentleman... um, Frank Lloyd Wright. He was a very famous architect. Mm. There's also a very famous landscape architect named Sir Ian um, McCarg. Uh, there's also, um, uh, well, we'll just start with those two, right, uh, to begin with. But uh, in the earlier 1900s into the 1950s, these two architect, well, architect and landscape architect, really started uh, at the time when right before computers were becoming prolific and kind of right into the when the ENIAC, you know, in the 1950s and 60s, these big computers that took up the size of rooms, they started to actually be able to do these types of analysis. It was actually 
the first forms of drafting, but um, both both um, uh, Ian McCarg and um, Frank Lloyd Wright, they both realized that the importance of the environment and how it related and interacted with human beings, which led to the development of something called layer cake analysis, which is basically accredited to uh, Ian McCarg, which mm. this dude is awesome. If you've ever watched a video of him, black and white, uh, he was a Scottishman, I believe, and uh, he'd smoke cigars, drink whiskey, he'd cuss, he'd curse. I mean, he, he definitely, uh, he would be bleeped out in today's world. Um, but... Uh, He's just super fiery brand character, but he came up with this layer cake analysis. So the idea that human beings are like one layer and maybe the water is another layer, mm. the riparian area, and maybe the land, the topography is another layer and, and, you know, wealth and all these different assets and things that you can put into a layer and overlay them on top of each other. Like the dot density map Parker just mentioned from Jon Snow, you can put dots on tops of, on top of polygons on tops of pictures. And both of those guys had a lot to do um, excuse me, with that progression. And so uh, when you get to the 1950s, you've got uh, uh, two major forces uh, up in Canada, uh, land service group, uh, but also the Harvard Laboratory. So you've got Roger Tomlinson, who uh, died a few years back. They call him the, the father of GIS. Uh, he uh, was a, a prominent figure right at the time when computers became kind of personalized in the sense that like a lab could have a computer, like a pseudo desktop computer. Um, and so uh, he also was working with the Harvard laboratory group. Uh, that's where um, Jack Dangerman, for an example, from Esri, uh, the creator of Esri, the most prolific GIS software, he was there as well. So you had this group of like super think tank, uh, you know, just wizards in, in terms of science. And they took this idea of like landscape architecture, land, uh, land management from the Canadian side, uh, layer cake analysis, and then they used computers sort of for the first time to throw this all together where a database was able to overlay different uh, cartographic layers that were digitally input where you could do actual analysis and create maps online. Um, when Jack uh, graduated or at the end of his program, that's when he created the Environmental Systems Research Institute or ESRI or ESRI. Um, and again, that's like born and bred out of this 1950s era, 1960s time frame. And my dates may be slightly off, but uh, we're in Canada and, and likewise in the United States and some other places. They were uh, for the first time really developing this. And what's interesting, like, you know, Jack Dangerman was a landscape architect by trade, um, trained out and, and schooled in California. So GIS, in some sense, was may never be here if it wasn't for the concept of being able to design the earth better uh, and smarter for human beings. So, yeah, lots of really neat stuff up into the kind of the advent of the computer, um, you know, uh, the personal computer, like all of the sudden you're no longer analog. You're not using an abacus. You're not writing things down. You know, you're not having to use a printing press even to to uh, lay out things. Um, I mean, up into the 1850s, if you wanted to write two letters, you know, if you wanted to have a copy of the same letter, you had to use a device when you were writing, it would actually like a shadow write, you know, an additional letter next to you. So when the computer came out and you were able to store a ton of information and work with it very quickly, you have a you have a really big explosion, you know, in the geospatial technologies uh, and specifically GIS. Well, yeah. yeah. 
Go ahead, Parker. Uh, I was just going to see, because you have to think too, you know, uh, like you're saying, when, when you're trying to copy something laborious like that, I mean, think about just the details that you see on some of these like cartographic maps, mm. you know, um, and so to, and then think about somebody coming in and ask you, asking you to have a map of one thing, but then now wanting it at a, at a different scale. You know, so it, it's not just no no mouse existed right back then where you could zoom in and zoom out. Zoom out. It needed to be re reassessed, re, reanalyzed, and and redrawn. You know, to kind of physically and digitally at a different scale. And it, and I just wanted to add. So Ian McCard's publication was a uh, design with nature. Mm-hmm. So that's really great. And around that same time was also when it was the introduction of the street network. So that whole layer cake idea with the environment, you know, kind of stacking on top of each other and, and being, being, a, being a larger system um, translated into, and into the early days of, of, of mapping networks um, and topology. So. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, so, you know, I don't know what this says about me, but anytime <laughs> they say layer cake, I think of the wine layer cake. I, wasn't there a movie <laughs> layer cake? There probably was, <laughs> but I got to say, I I've, know the wine you're talking, you know, about the one I'm talking too. about. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've got nothing but respect for the GIS disciplinary profession. And, um, you know, I, I just think about it, you know, I, you know, we were, we were talking about Jon Snow and obviously I'm thinking about, you know, the spread of COVID mm-hmm. and I'm sure mm-hmm. that, you know, obviously GIS played a pivotal role in, in tracking that. Uh, do you guys have anything to say about that? Parker, why don't you start as a public health background? Yeah, and, and or just to understand the question, are, are you talking about how GIS played a pivotal role in Jon Snow or how it's clearly played a pivotal role in COVID? In COVID, in COVID, for sure, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, probably everyone's seen the Johns Hopkins uh, dashboard. Um, they've been able to reach out to a bunch of different states and, and one of, was one of the earliest um, organizations and um, to, to really get behind mapping a lot of this. Uh, Florida has done it. Other states have, have done it. Um, Esri made it very easy to kind of create these template dashboards and and these provide very quick operational responses. And I think that just goes to show with where we're at versus kind of where we were and then where we've come from, just that progression. Uh, it's, it's really been since the 50s, 60s, 70s when all of this came together um, to have that te- technological innovation to be able to respond in a way um, that we've been a- able to today. So whether that's good or bad, um, I-, I don't know. Uh, s- sometimes the slowing of information is actually a good thing too, right? To, to-, to dispel rumor, to just to kind of weed out misinformation. Um, and I think in part, we we may be miss, missing some of that nowadays just because of the the speed you know of of I you know I, I want updated stats for yesterday not you know you know per week or per month mm-hmm. and that's something that a lot of epidemiologists who weren't are you know surveying COVID no one had been hired to kind of like track or work with COVID uh, in that sense so um, they they really had to step it up and and um, and provide up-to-date statistics and i'm really proud of everybody actually here in, in florida I, uh the, my colleagues that i keep in touch with with the day they've been through a lot this past year but mm. they keep trudging through because they um they are are uh they really want everybody's well-being and, and safety that's like the first thing in their mind 
Yep, for sure. Nick, do you have anything to add? Super quick, one thing that pops into my head. Do you guys remember at the beginning of COVID or the first spring break of COVID, uh, there were a bunch of uh, silly college students that went down for spring break down in Miami. Yep. Um, and then after spring break, um, like Apple and Android, you know, they track your phone. Yep. If you didn't know that, by the way, your your whole life is being tracked by either Apple or Google um, because of your cell phones. But GIS, uh, the inherent system behind all of that, you know, it's taking the GPS location of your phone and putting into a massive database and attaching a whole ton of information, attributal information, because GIS data has two parts. It's the spatial component, the X, Y, and the Z. And then it's the attributal information that describe the X, Y, and the Z. And so at that time, when the spring breakers left, they were able to track the migration of these people, thousands mm. and thousands, tens of thousands of mm. people out of Miami and watched it, the people get on flights and they could see it spread across the United States. And then, you know, sure as heck, wherever they landed, uh, the, 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 you know, the disease spread. Um, so just, you know, how cool that, I mean, it is pretty cool. Um, maybe a little invasive in your life, but, Mm. you know, GIS was the, the backbone of being able to, you know, use that type of data. You know, that's like Jon Snow's, you know, wet dream, you know, dot density map real time as people are traveling, seeing the disease literally morph in front of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's such a powerful tool. And like you mentioned, I mean, GIS plays a role in every single individual's life every single day, whether they know it or not. Exactly. Exactly. So I do have one question for you and I've pondered this forever, to be honest with you. And, you know, nothing but respect for the, the GIS professionals, but Pretty much at this point, almost every college has a GIS program, and even some of the community colleges has a GIS program, but yet there's maybe 15 survey programs across the country, right? Yes. How, what, what happened? Do you guys have any idea how GIS just left survey in the dust? Uh, I can start. Um, I have some theories, and I should be careful what I say because I know people will get offended. Um, I, I think some, maybe, maybe in the last 30 to 40 years, there has been some hesitancy to go outside the wheelhouse of traditional land surveying and geodesy. Um, I'm not sure, um, who was proselytizing and promoting the profession, uh, you know, in the late seventies, eighties, nineties, but for whatever reason, those people didn't push new technologies, I think as much didn't were not as receptive to different types of work. They saw all of the things happening in front of them. They, they were the first to, to see GIS. They were the first, the surveyors, to see remote sensing. They've been the first to see construction staking and drafting and 3D modeling um, uh, all, all the way you know, to even augmented reality drone data collection and laser scanning today. But for whatever reason, they, they've hesitated in a lot of ways to... Um, adapt to these new technologies or integrate these new technologies perhaps some of it was a hesitancy on new technology being able to repeatedly give good results i think good surveyors uh, really care about what they're calculating uh, and maybe they were afraid of that but what it's caused them to do is they've they've missed the opportunity and so unfortunately in my opinion you've got now an offshoot of gis and uh, we are just like a, a wrecking ball and we are just gaining speed because everything is, as we advance into the future, 
I just read an article today uh, posted by NASA talking about how GI- ArcGIS, ArcMap, Esri software is being used on Mars to mm. do mapping with the new uh, rover there. I mean, so uh, GIS is just integrated into everything. And it's unfortunate because, again, I think surveyors at the time, I, they, they got mired in the muck and maybe were hesitant because of the tech or the accuracies. Um, uh, and unfortunately, I think it's sort of, um, if, if something's not done soon, the ship may be sailed. In some ways. Now, uh, what I'll I'll conclude with would be, you know, I think where surveyors will continue to exist is in the the registration side where, you know, you are stamping stuff, you are putting your name on it to for for legal, um, you know, legal, legal means. I think that's Mm -hmm. something that GIS people are very hesitant about. In fact, there's some crazy stuff going on in Pennsylvania right now where they want GIS people to be registered like surveyors and a ton of people are really upset about it um, in the GIS community and they have some valid reasoning. But I mean, coming from it as a kind of a, a, you know, somebody that's really fond of surveying, you know, in some regards, I I think maybe we need more registrations and and licensure on the GIS side, because honestly, it's like a wild west out there and there are cowboys and cowgirls that are you know, cow people that are just, you know, doing really bad mapping. They're doing bad analysis and they're, and the data is, it's not being used appropriately. And it's just like a surveyor that would go set a nail and not, you know, not, not do his calcs properly and who gives a crud and just keeps going. Right. And, you know, so uh, just to answer that, to finish that, I think it maybe again was the hesitancy, but it, it's not too late. There are still survey par- programs out there. I love Parkland College, for an example one of the uh, friends of the program um, and they're still running strong i think i would i would just uh, challenge those programs to really be accepting of the technology stop arguing about you know who's flying a drone and is it is stamped or not and start go flying your own drone you know like go go pick up the technology yourself and and, and be able to certify it yourself so that work doesn't you know fly by you pun intended yeah, no, that's good stuff, Nick. And I, I, you know, my thought on this, and Parker, I'm going to give you a chance here to to add here in just a second. Um, but I mean, surveyors historically have just been so damn prideful, you know. And I can remember when the whole thing with GIS started to surface, you know, and rather than embrace it and mm-hmm. partner with it. Mm-hmm. Fought it. Yeah, they fought it. They fought it. You know, and, and you know, like, like Nick said, get it surveyed. You know, that's mm-hmm. the thing. GIS means get it surveyed. You know, well. Unfortunately, that attitude and that approach has come back to bite surveyors in the butt. Um, Parker, what do you have to add? Yeah, no, I think those are all those are all really great points. Uh, not being a sur- surveyor myself, kind of coming into it from the from the GIS side, I, I don't want uh, put, to put too many cents on that stamp. But um, I am actually really happy to have uh, one of the things that made me really happy about the house that we just purchased is that it does have one of the, one of the benchmarks, um, uh, out, out here, right down near the, <laughs> near the edge of our road. So I see that when I'm walking the dogs all, all the time and I'm like, cool, you know, they're like they're, there's one of the benchmarks that I can go in and I use my GIS to go to Florida geological society and look it up. So I, I think there's, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of things that both can, both can do. Um, I kind of agree with Nick that they're, should be some type of, of a bit more oversight, maybe on some heavier, you know, GIS analysis that's being done. And I think there's a lot that the surveyors can do to, to embrace technology. And I think what we're seeing here in Florida is that they, they really need to pull in some of the, the 
the younger population, you know, the get get more students and provide more internships and and show people bring show people what it what it's like. And a, a lot of people really do enjoy field work. And I think I think there's a, a way for both to exist where you can have you can be a, still be a traditional um, surveyor and, and utilize some of this new technology. But, uh, you know, you don't you don't have to tell tell yourself that you're a GIS or you can you can stick to surveying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like one of those things like you don't have to measure sub centimeter all the time. No, it's, you know, it's it's needed at times, but not always. Sure. Yeah. It's just all about the deliverable and what the expectations mm-hmm. are on the, on the, the, the end of it, the end product, the end user. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you, you I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was, well, I was going to say as one of the oldest professions, you know, if we're sending people to Mars, do you think surveyors are going to be one of the first on Mars? Mm. Oh, yeah. Good question. I know Jake's got, uh, Jake's got like five acres on Mars. Yeah. If you guys need me to go up there first and do that, I'm more than welcome. <laughs> Take the bad elf. Take the flex. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> Jake, how much do they pay you at this podcast? You've got a bungalow in, in California sailing, and now you got five acres. Like, Are you flying up with Elon next? Yeah. Like, what's I, going on? I do well over here for sure. I do well. It's <laughs> one of the, the upcoming Blue Origin fight, flight, you'll be surprised who's sitting next to Jeff Bezos. <sighs> hey, take that bad elf up with you. <laughs> For sure. All right. You guys mentioned, you know, like getting younger folks involved and that type of thing. So let's talk about the future of GIS. Um, and, and, and Nick, you mentioned it. You know, we talked about the moon and Mars and this and that. There's so much going on. There's so much opportunity. Um, what, what, what say you to, uh, to someone who's considering a career in GIS? Uh, go for it. Um, I, it has been such a blessing in my life. It's opened up so many doors. I took the field approach where Parker took more, you know, the, the, uh, you know, health approach. Um, I, I loved it. it. Because of GIS, I've, I've been able to travel the world. I've been to several different countries. I've been to, you know, probably 70% of the states. I've, uh, I've gotten to hike and see the world. If you like to be outside, you can do that with GIS. And then what's cool is you don't always want to be outside. And, you know, especially if you live in Arizona, you know, sometimes it's nice to do office work too. And, uh, GIS allowed me to also grow a profession behind a computer. Uh, so it was kind of this hybrid world, which is really, really neat to me. Um, G- like you mentioned earlier, Kent, GIS is being used in everything. I mean, name a company and if, if I mean, certainly Fortune 500 companies, but a name, most companies, uh, they, they have some type of geospatial component these days. And so um, maybe not, it may not say GIS in the title, but if you have a background in GIS, you can get into basically any industry. Um, and so I think it's very valuable right now. And it's a great industry. Like you said, there's a lot of programs out there, um, teaching GIS. Also there, if I would go out to say anybody out there that is a biologist or environmental scientist or a Mm. landscape planner or an environmental design person or a sustainability, uh, person or planning learn some GIS because inherently you'll pick up some survey and geodesy in there. Uh, but you'll also pick up the super powerful tool, um, that you can utilize. So I would, I would highly recommend it. Heck yeah. I mean, there's so many good programs out there right now, by the way, quick shout out university of Florida has a great geomatics program. So go Gators. There's still a survey program there. Um, and it's, it's pretty well, uh, well known. So I'll throw that out there, but yeah, I'd go for it. Um, lots of money and GIS these days and companies are eating up people left and right. And there's, I mean, 
I see job postings every single day, like not just one, but like dozens. Mm. Like there's not enough people out there to fill the jobs. And yeah. for that matter, there's surveyors. They, they're, everybody needs a surveyor today too. So get into the geospatial um, career, kids. <laughs> I would recommend it. Yeah, for sure. Geospatial, geomatics. I mean, there's so much opportunity out there and so many good paying jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, quite honestly, a number of the jobs you don't have to go to college for to get yeah, a no. good paying job in the geomatics field. So um, awesome stuff there, Nick. Appreciate it. Uh, Parker, what would you like to add? Yeah, honestly, just to first off, just to reiterate all of that, um, especially the Go Gators part. But uh, <laughs> uh that's how I see it, you know, as somebody who who didn't go into computer science traditionally and, and you know, was more in a health, um, public health kind of background, I've been able to, uh, though now I do it full time for my job, like, it really became a, a tool, you know, that I was able to use, and it really helped me understand my own research better. Um, so anyone in academia can use it. I, I mean, that's how I picked it up, not only from just uh, being so bored about Nick talking about it all the time, um, but it, it, it gives you, and that's a joke because, you know, it, he was doing archeology span and mapping and stuff. And I was like, that sounds really cool. That's uh, how can I apply that to public health? But from my, from my side of the side of it, I, I was looking at more academically at first and it was, how do I make better maps? You know, it was just that realization that like, Hey, you know, at least, you know, I could, I could really add my piece here and go home every day knowing that I, that I helped, you know, somebody or, or, some, or something like, and I feel that that still innately like drives me today, but also just being able to work with GIS every day is so cool. I mean, I, I get to wake up every day and I mean, we're, we're clearly geo nerds, uh, geo geeks on here, I guess. Right. So um, I, I think having, having that ability to work remotely or work in the field or really utilize this neat spatial mapping tool um, for anything, even beyond the environment, you know, uh, uh, business is now using GIS, business analytics. It's this idea of, you know, the intelligence of location. Mm. So I, I I don't see it slowing down. <laughs> I, I, I see it gaining speed. Um, and yeah, just a, a shout out to the UF group there as well. Um, I uh, worked, I know a couple people who worked in the Geoplane Center at UF, and um, I'm happy, happy to have presented actually at some of their uh, two of the LIDAR uh, workshops now on behalf of the, of the GIO's office here to the American Society for Photogrammetry and Remote Sensing. Um, so we're, we're, we're all in um, and we're, we're actually really looking forward to a lot, some, a lot of funds coming into Florida to help map our, our coast. So we're actually getting into 3D bathymetric um, onshore, nearshore, offshore mapping. Wow. And uh, that's gonna be really, really cool. Very, very neat to kind of be on the forefront of that. We've got a lot of talented people, people working on it. Wow, that is super exciting. So many just unbelievable things happening Mm -hmm. in in our world as far as technology goes. And I mean, I'll have to say, you know, probably, you know, cell phones or smartphones were probably one of the best things that happened to GIS professionals. (laughs) Because like, I I can remember if it was Nick or Parker mentioned it, but this thing is collecting data all the time. Yeah, not just spatial data, but it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It, it knows what I'm up to all the time. <laughs> I don't even want to know what you're up to all the time. Um, it's nothing good. So one thing I, I got to say this, you know, from a survey perspective, um, at my previous job, I was working for a, you know, a pure survey company and <clears throat> yet they were able to get a project for, in this case, the town of Cave Creek. And it was a GIS project and we were using QGIS and it was 
wasn't it wasn't by no means you know survey accurate but it doesn't have to be we were putting together basically a, a virtual database of all the right away that the town of cave creek was responsible for maintaining mm-hmm. right and we there was so much data coming from so many different sources and it was amazing to be able to go through and do like you know history you know go bit track the history of the of the right away and all the analytics and the plats and this and that and to combine it into a user-friendly platform. It was absolutely amazing. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. All right. So there's no reason to do the mantra question because you guys have both been on here before. I was going to say we've done this before. Yeah. Any, anything new to report on the mantra? I front? got a question because we didn't do like a we Uh-oh. didn't do like an icebreaker thing. Uh-oh. So this is you know icebreaker at the end comedy <laughs> relief and I we've kind of used this before at some point I think but I thought it's freaking hilarious because it came to mind today. So you guys, would you rather have spaghetti hair? Or hot dog fingers, Parker. You go first. Um, yeah, yeah, wow. I don't know. I guess I'm going to go with with spaghetti here. As somebody who's who's uh, got who's who's got a shiny <laughs> dome right now, you know, maybe, maybe having some some dreadlocks, you know, would feel would be pretty cool to be honest. Some lettuce up top. <laughs> oh you know? man, that's awesome. I mean, and I couldn't play guitar or uh, or anything. Yeah, I think I'd have to go with spaghetti hair for sure. Spaghetti um, hair, d- and definitely with a, definitely with spicy marinara sauce. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he uses for gel. So Nick's already got spaghetti hair. <laughs> yeah, I was but... gonna say our esteemed uh, <laughs> hair of the geoholics. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, exactly. I'm really curious to hear uh, Nick's answer to this one. Well, I was gonna go spaghetti hair, but to be interesting, let's go hot dog fingers. And I, it made me think of. Uh, do you remember the the movie back in the day, Edward Scissor Hands? I'd be like yes. Edward Hot Dog exactly. Hands, yes. dude. I I would be the best ever. I was about to say something really dirty. Never mind. But um, yeah, so I, I could still have long hair like uh, Edward Scissor Hands. I just have hot dogs for fingers. But yeah, yeah. do the hot dogs grow do back? Nick, hot dog fingers. Do they grow back like when you eat them? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Are they bald? Are they ballparks or Nathan? Because they got to be kosher. He- Hebrew National. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> Well, if they oh, grow back I and boiled, and boiled, f- oh, yeah, course, not grilled. They're not course. grilled. No, not grilled. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my god! I don't so want. Funny. I don't want that Ted's like mangled up hot dog. <laughs> Drop it in a pot. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. We touched on a lot tonight. Um, I think we covered pretty much. By the way, these guys are like the best guests ever. I'm like, send me some ideas and what you guys want to talk about. Next Here, thing let me I know, write the show for you. Next thing I know, I got an entire show script. It was freaking amazing. Yeah, I guess if that's a shout out, if anyone wants to be on the show. Write, write your script. <laughs> write your script. There you go. <laughs> Saves us time. All right, guys. Anything else you want to get out there that maybe we haven't touched on? Parker, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, no, I, I think I just, you know, overall, it's just, it's, I really appreciate you kind of bringing me back uh, to talk about this. I, I know we first touched on the GIS Foundations back 80, on episode 83 or 84. Um, there you go. Shout out to, to Jake, uh, other Jake. He was uh, a, a great co um, coaching out there. Yep. So, no, uh, all, all is good here. We're just kind of surviving the summer in, in, in Florida, uh, as I'm sure y'all are surviving it in Arizona and Texas. Uh, but yeah, no, no, all is good with life. No complaints. Um, just continue to work hard to, to be able to play hard. That's it. That's, that's my, that's my mantra these days. I like it. <laughs> that is so awesome. And thanks uh, for that, Parker. And you, trust me, you're welcome back anytime you got, you know, some great stories and you're in, in an awesome position. Congrats on a really cool career. Um, uh, Dr. Nick, what, what, what do you got? 
All right. So I got to just, I got to riff on Parker because we've been friends for so long. You know, he said he, he works hard to play harder. You know what an epidemiologist plays, right? The board game Pandemic. Have you guys ever played this one before? <laughs> what? If you haven't, there's actually a board game called Pandemic. No uh, Parker and I, a few years back, flew out to Colorado with some other guy friends and we had a, a board game weekend. And you're basically uh, different people in like the CDC and epidemiologists and politicians and it's a team of you against the board game and the board game's trying to kill you. It's probably not appropriate <laughs> to talk about now the COVID has been around. Uh, but yeah, that was a really, that was my dad joke. Sorry. Man, uh, you guys sorry, really partner. are nerds. That is <laughs> crazy. <laughs> That's coming from Jake. <laughs> so wait, hold on. This board game, this board game, oh. this board game existed before COVID. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's like a, been around a while. Yeah. It's like a Simpson episode. You know how those guys like predict everything? <laughs> yeah. Board game predicted it. <laughs> Way to go, Dr. Nick. <laughs> Don't pull the Delta card. Son of a gun. <laughs> um, but no, here's my two nuggets. Um, my two cubits, so to, so to speak. Oh, nice. um, yeah, you brought, draw that back in. Um, so if you are at all interested in learning more about the history of GIS, you can absolutely reach out to me. Find me on LinkedIn. Talk to the Geoholics guys. They can give you my contact information. I have some recorded lectures um, of this topic that goes into kind of much higher amount of detail with the different technologies and people uh, throughout time, um, men, women, different races, colors, creeds, religions, all the different people, very inclusive, but I, I'd love to share it with you if you are interested. Uh, secondly, I want to throw out there uh, that conferences, there's a lot of GIS conferences coming up. Um, um, a lot of them are coming back, uh, in the flesh as well in person, assuming that uh, COVID doesn't do anything too crazy. Uh, but if you're at all interested in GIS, uh, I highly recommend trying to sniff one of those out. There's a lot of opportunity to go out and network and, and meet schools, um, different programs, uh, and, and other people in the professions. Um, so definitely check that out. There's, like I said, a lot of really great conferences coming out. Basically every state just like in the surveying community has like a geographic information council or some type of group um, that uh, that throws a conference every year and does events and such. Um, AJIC is the group in, in Arizona. Uh, I just, just plug them real quickly. I'll, I'll be there for uh, to do some presenting and training on field mapping for Bad Elf, but uh, guess what they call them? Uh, Memphis GIS conference. No idea. What is the it? magic, magic Memphis uh, Area Geographic Information Council? Oh, How cool is that? Genius. It's magic. Baby. That is genius. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> right, I love so yeah, it. Yeah, if you if you you want to hear more about GIS, talk GIS. Give me a holler. Otherwise, definitely check out those conferences. And thanks, guys, for having us. Look up Shrug. <laughs> what? What's yeah, that? Shrug. I'll say if you're in the Southeast area, look up Shrug, Seven Hills Regional User Group. So that's, uh, ah. I, I think that's just also something in, in our, in uh, in the GIS world, right? It's just talking acronyms. Yeah, we need <laughs> yeah. a good one over here. Like, what can we acronymize? <laughs> Got to do the GIS to the, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. You guys are great. Thanks so much for being here. Really, yes, really appreciate you, it. You're welcome back anytime. Anytime you want to write a script for a show, just send it to me. You guys are in. All right, that'll do it, boys. Yet another awesome value-adding friend-making show. Please be sure to check us out at thegeoholics.com. Follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram by simply searching for The Geoholics. Download all of our podcasts from most everywhere, but be sure to check out the Geoholics app from landsurveyorsunited.com. 
send us an email at info at geohawks.com if you have any content ideas like to be a guest on a future show um, and write your own script of course last but not least please support our amazing friends of the program like our good friends at aerotech mapping every chance you get be sure to mention you're a geohawk for the deep deep discounts pay it forward add value make friends messed cadillac available everywhere until next time everybody change your underwear and be safe and healthy <laughs> She loves this song. Once again, a shout out to our friends of the program Aerotech Mapping Inc., ATMLV.com, Advanced Geodetic Surveys Inc., AGSGPS.com, Bad Elf GPS, Bad Elf.com. Cobb Fenley, CobbFenley.com, Cyanic Automation, GetJobBook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, DiamondbackLandSurveying.com, Get Kids Into Survey, GetKidsIntoSurvey.com, Land Surveyors United, LandSurveyorsUnited.com, Mentoring Mondays, MentoringMondays.xyz, Monson Engineering, MonsonEngineering.com, Nettleman Land Consulting, NLCPrep.com, Parkland Community College, Parkland.edu slash surveying, Safety Apparel, safetyapparel.us, Tiger Supplies, tigersupplies.com, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com.